Hello, my friends. I'm excited about today's show. I go through a survey of thousands of doctors on the front line around the world in the United States, but also Spain and Italy and even hundreds of doctors in China asking them, is there any medicine that particularly works on the coronavirus? And I'll tell you what they say. It's an amazing study. I'm so glad to have read it. Um, before I do, let me invite you to become a Rebel Plus subscriber, Rebel News Plus. And that's just the video version of this podcast. And you also get access to Sheila Gunn Reed's show and David Menzies' show. Uh, you can get that at rebelnews.com. It's eight bucks a month. And uh, think about doing it, not only for the video experience, but also to help us stay strong here. All right, here's the podcast. Tonight, is there a medicine that cures coronavirus? Let me take you a survey of thousands of frontline doctors. It's April 3rd, and this is The Ezra Levant Show. Why should others go to jail Why? when you're a biggest carbon consumer I know? There's 8,500 customers here, and you won't give them an answer. The only thing I have to say to the government about why I publish it is because it's my bloody right to do so. A pandemic is one of the few times we really need to rely on authorities and institutions. And I think it's fair to say that ours have failed us. One of the most basic definitions of a country, a place with the border that is enforced against non-citizens, especially dangerous ones, that's utterly being failed by Trudeau, not just at Roxham Road, but through flights from China and other dangerous places that continue to land daily. Literally every day, David Menzies interviews foreign arrivals at Canadian airports, especially here in Toronto, who can't believe they're just let in with no screening at all. Here's a guy who came in all the way from Mozambique. That's in Southern Africa. It's one of the poorest countries in the world. He went through four airports to get home. But Canada was the only place that didn't take his temperature. What about having your temperature remotely checked? Did you get that done? Not in this country. Uh, I f I'm coming from Mozambique, okay. uh, so I've flown halfway around the world and I got my forehead beeped on the way down and m all the way back except for here. But by the same token, you didn't get your temperature checked here, but you got it checked in Mozambique, right? Uh, and Lisbon and yeah, and elsewhere. Oh, sounds like everywhere except here. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah. Yeah, and our public health officers said things that are just manifestly untrue. Like the absurd idea, counter to science, also counter to common sense. The, the bizarre excuse that face masks not only don't work, but they're actually dangerous. Our position right now is that put a mask on a, someone with symptoms if they should need essential services. Like if you have symptoms, you have to stay at home. You should, be, should not be wandering around the community. If you need to get to a medical facility, at that point in time, that mask might actually be useful because you now have infectious droplets that you might um, send to others. But the key is to keep those that two meter distance. Um, masks um, have to be utilized appropriately too. Most people haven't learned how to use masks. So there's many practical aspects of this. So our advice right now is there is no need to use a mask for well people. Yeah, that's just not true. In fact, face masks are the number one tool used by Taiwan and other countries to fight the virus. 
Trudeau's hand-picked doctor spokesman, Theresa Tam, is simply lying to cover up the fact that there just aren't any masks in Canada. I learned yesterday that there's not a single Canadian manufacturer of N95 face masks. That's a high-quality face mask. Not one manufacturer in our whole country. Even now, even in April, still none. So yeah, who can you trust? Our health minister? There's no indication that the data that came out of China uh, in terms of their infection rate and their death rate uh, was falsified in any way. <laughs> she trusts the Chinese dictatorship, which means she's as trustworthy as the Chinese dictatorship because she just repeats what they say. So she's not trustworthy at all. So who can we trust? Is Donald Trump any better? I think he is. Unlike Trudeau, he's not hiding in his house all day in his pajamas. He's out there chairing meetings, making decisions, making phone calls. He marshaled America's Army Corps of Engineers to build emergency overflow hospitals. He sailed two huge Navy hospital ships to L.A. and New York. He's not afraid to knock a few heads. When General Motors, Motors was quarreling with him about building ventilators, he dropped the hammer on them using an old law uh, that gives Trump a wartime uh, power to order industrial production. Late last night, when Trump heard that the industrial company 3M was making masks in America but selling them for quick cash to foreign countries, he was so angry he tweeted about it literally that moment. Yeah, I'm going to take a guess that 3M will not sell a single American-made mask outside the U.S. Uh, the question is, which side of that wall will Canada be in? I don't trust Trudeau to get it done. Wouldn't it be nice if we had someone on guard for our national interest like that? Now, the left hates Donald Trump because he beat them in the election. Uh, polite company hates Trump because he's impolite, let's be honest. But I'm sorry, he's a man that's fit for this time. He's a man for the times. He's not infallible, but tell me someone around the world better right now as a national leader. Trump's approval ratings are at an all-time high, actually. The TV ratings on his daily briefings are at an all-time high, too, because people want to know. They want to hear directly from him, the decider. They don't trust the media to report what he says fairly. They want to hear from themselves, which is precisely why CNN has stopped airing his briefings. Seriously, they cut away when he gets to the mic. They're too worried that people might like what Trump has to say or realize that they're twisting it. So they're literally blacking out what the president of the United States has to say during this crisis. Imagine that happening in World War II to FDR. CNN and China's state broadcasters are, tell me the difference between them. If Trump would say two plus two is four, the media would say it's actually five. Or they'd probably try and say something trickier, like, no, two plus two is 22, just to prove Trump wrong on anything. So a few weeks ago, Trump tweeted that there was some hope in finding a cure for coronavirus, or at least a way to treat it to help some patients survive. I'm not talking about a vaccine to prevent you from getting it in the first place. I'm talking about a drug you take if you already have the disease to help you get through it. Here's Trump's tweet. He said hydroxychloroquine and azithromycin taken together have a real chance to be one of the biggest game changers in the history of medicine. The FDA has moved mountains. Thank you. Hopefully they will both. Um, H works better with A, International Journal of Antimicrobial Agents. And then he continues that be put in use immediately. People are dying. Move fast and God bless everyone. And he copied the Twitter accounts of the FDA, the Food and Drug Administration, the Centers for Disease Control, and Homeland Security. Well, the media party exploded. I swear they hate Trump so much. Is If Trump is fighting against the virus, they will cheer for the virus. Uh, I'm not even kidding. They immediately denounced Trump. 
I'm not talking about doctors denouncing Trump. I actually didn't even see any of that. I'm talking about pundits, political commentators, journalists, know-nothings who had never heard the words hydroxychloroquine or azithromycin before. Who has? Suddenly they knew, they just knew that if Trump liked those medicines, they didn't. Even if it was a virus medicine, it was nuts. In fact, a couple of Democrat governors actually immediately banned those medicines just to show how mad they were at Trump. One reporter said that this, they really, really pulled out the stops on this one. One reporter said that some Trump voter who heard Trump say this ingested something that sounded like hydroxychloroquine or azithromycin, and she and her husband died, or she didn't die, her husband died, because they both took it. And oh, did that report go viral, to use a phrase. Everyone laughed and laughed. A stupid Trump supporter, following stupid Trump's stupid advice, went and got themselves dead, case closed, those drugs were bad. But hang on, they didn't actually take the drug. You can't just get that drug anywhere. Uh, what they ingested was aquarium cleaner, not a drug. They ate aquarium cleaner because one of the words sounded the same. They were so desperate to be saved from coronavirus, I guess. But only later did we find out the truth. No, they weren't Trump supporters. They were actually avid Democrats. The wife was a Democrat donor. And no, they didn't take the aquarium cleaner together, let alone as medicine. The wife poisoned her husband, and then used Trump as an excuse, as an alibi. So yeah, that's the science that the media party believes. So I'm not going to put myself forward as an expert in this matter. I'm not a scientist or a doctor. Um, I saw this story about a board-certified doctor in New York State who claims to have cured nearly 700 patients using that medicine. But look, I have no idea who that guy is. I didn't want to use just one guy as my proof point. Maybe he's a kook. But then I came across this, and this is what I want to share with you today. It's a survey of doctors by a company called Sermo. Here's their website. They're basically an app for doctors around the world, if I understand them correctly. Sort of like a LinkedIn, but just for doctors. So it's professional. They share tips and warnings and ask questions about practical things. It sounds really useful to me. Anyway, Sermo asked the doctors in their network around the world some very simple questions about coronavirus, and the medicine that Trump was talking about was one of the questions. So this is very interesting to me. Sermo isn't political. These doctors aren't pundits. They're busy people doing real medicine, and these days they're doing a lot of talking about coronavirus, of course. So yesterday, Sermo formally published the results of their doctor survey. Let me take you through it. Um, COVID-19 real-time barometer study, March 25 to 27. So it's a few days old now, but it was only published yesterday. I'm sure they'll have an updated uh, version of this survey in the future. I'll, I'll tell you what they say if there's anything interesting there. But here's what they said yesterday. Let me start with the methodology. Let me read this in full because I actually think this is very persuasive. Methodology, wave one of CIRMO's COVID-19 barometer survey was launched on March 25 and fielded over three days. Physicians were not incentivized to participate in the study, so no one was paid to do this. The sample represents physicians registered with CIRMO, a secure digital online platform designed for physician networking and anonymous survey research. The platform is exclusive to verified and licensed physicians. 
Given the strategic importance of this topic, a total of 6,227 physicians across all specialties were sampled. The 30 countries included in the sample are United States, Canada, Argentina, Brazil, Mexico, Germany, Italy, UK, France, Spain, Belgium, Netherlands, Sweden, Turkey, Poland, Russia, Finland, Ireland, Switzerland, Austria, Denmark, Norway, Greece, Taiwan, etc., 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 including China and Hong Kong. Results are reported for individual countries with a minimum sample size of 250. Such a sample size provides for point estimates within a plus or minus 6% precision at a 94% confidence level. In situations where the sample size for a country is below 250, countries are aggregated to provide a meaningful regional view. No weighting factor was applied to any individual sampling unit, either in the selection of physicians who received an invite to participate or in any analysis conducted post data collection. Okay, now, some of that might have sounded like statistical mumbo jumbo to you, but what I saw there was a rigorous survey. Do you agree? Well, certainly more rigorous than any journalist. Anyways, it is what it is. Let's read it. Doesn't it sound more trustworthy than something Justin Trudeau or Patty Heidi or Theresa Sam would say? Let's see. I mean, forget the media party. Let's see. And frankly, this is even more credible than what Donald Trump, a politician, would say. These are real doctors actually treating real people around the world. Don't you hear what they, want to hear what they want to say? Are you curious? I am. Okay, let's get to it. Sample geographic distribution. So here's where the doctors are from. A lot are from America, obviously, including a lot in New York and California. That's useful. Lots in Europe, too, including Italy and Spain, which were hard hit by the virus. You can see Germany in there. And interestingly, 245 doctors in China are on the list. I think that's very interesting. And you can see there are 1,100 uh, others around the world. So let's just go through this. When do you think that your region will pass the peak of the outbreak? Well, that's a good question. So purple is doctors saying the worst is over. Only Chinese doctors say that, 90% of them. Now, who knows if that's the truth or Chinese propaganda, but it's what they say. Who knows how free those doctors are to speak the truth? Or perhaps it's really true. The virus has wiped out so much, ravaged things so badly there, that they really are through the worst of it. It could be. 31% in Italy say the worst is over, and pretty much no one else even comes close. That's sort of obvious, so that rings true. Next question, when do you expect your region will be able to lift current restrictions on movements? So you can see the bar that's second from the right, that's China. So half of Chinese doctors say that within the week or the next one or two weeks, but everywhere else in the world, it's much further into the future. In Italy and Spain, they're talking about a month plus. In the rest of Europe, it's months. In America, it's months. That's what they think it'll be. And here's what they want it to be. That's a little bit different, isn't it? When would you recommend your region lift the current restrictions on movement? So let's just look at the New York numbers. 29% of the doctors there say they want two months plus. 24% they say they want about two months. So more than half the doctors in New York want lockdowns for two months or even more. That's a bit scary. There are some other very interesting questions in the survey. We'll have the survey linked on the webpage below this video if you want to go through it. How long does it take to get your virus test back? What do you as a doctor feel you need to learn more about? Do you think your government is properly balancing healthcare and the economy? Lots of interesting stuff in there, country by country. I recommend you read it. But I want to talk about those drugs Trump mentioned. So look at this question. Please indicate which medications, if any, you have personally prescribed or have seen used in your setting to fight COVID-19. And then they summarize the answers. Three most commonly prescribed treatments from a list of 15 options are 
analgesics, 56%, azithromycin, 41%, and hydroxychloroquine, 33%. Now, analgesics, that's just a fancy way of saying uh, pain relief medication. But look at that number two, azithromycin, and number three, hydroxychloroquine. Oh, so exactly what Trump tweeted and exactly what the media party mocked. I'm going to put aside pain medication. Let's look at the actual cures here. Azithromycin, 53% of doctors in Italy recommend it, and 64% in Spain. And by the way, 42% of doctors in China recommend it. And for hydroxychloroquine, 50% in Italy, 61% in Spain, 43% in China. What do you think? It's pretty clear to me. Okay, this next question is smart because it's, it's one thing to actually prescribe medicine, to do something. But what does the doctor actually think works? That's a little bit different, isn't it? So look at the wording here. Of the medications you have personally prescribed or have seen used, please indicate which ones are most effective. So a doctor might just be going through the motions because everyone else is, but this question says, was it actually working? 37% of physicians who have treated COVID-19 patients believe hydroxychloroquine is the most effective therapy of a list of 15 options. Now, interestingly, unfortunately, 51% of American doctors say nothing is the most effective. But 23% and 18% say the two Trump drugs work. In the other jurisdictions, though, Italy, Spain, the rest of Europe, China, they overwhelmingly say the two Trump drugs work best. In Italy and Spain, which have had it the worst, they say hydroxychloroquine is the best. 62% of doctors say that. Now, I want to learn why, and I, I want to learn why American doctors don't agree. Maybe they just haven't had the unfortunate experience of mass infections yet. I don't know. But I'm pretty open to trusting doctors from Italy and Spain, at least more than you know, the Communist Party of China or the World Health Organization. Now, there's a few more questions, but I, I want to show you one more that's sort of technical, but it shows what kind of survey this Sermo company does. Really practical stuff for doctors to use. Here, it's this one. What hydroxychloroquine treatment regimens have you prescribed or have seen used in your setting? The two most common treatment regimens for hydroxychloroquine were 38% of people saying 400 milligrams twice daily on a day one, 400 milligrams daily for five days, and 26% say 400 milligrams twice daily on day one and 200 milligrams twice daily for four days. Now, look, obviously, I have no idea. But that's the point. These are thousands of doctors around the world saying, well, this is how I do it. Well, this is how I do it. I'm going to trust these people talking to each other about, well, have you tried this? Or maybe do this? Or give a big dose at first and then cut it down? Whatever. I, I think I trust these 6,200 doctors around the world more than I trust Justin Trudeau, Patty, Heidi, Teresa, Tam. Don't you? Now, look, I don't know. I, I don't know. But I do know one thing. Our Canadian political leaders have failed us. Our media has failed us. Our official doctor politicians like Theresa Tam have failed us. But I think these thousands of doctors on this survey, on the front lines, I think they're worth a listen. To hell with the media party who are actually cheering for the virus. Stay with us. Welcome back. Well, the world is in chaos and panic, massive unemployment in Canada and the United States and surely Western Europe too. 
Uh, how many people will die is yet unknown, but of course, any death is a tragedy. The Communist Party of China bears so much blame for covering up and lying. But there is one group that is cheering, cheering for the virus. Look at this poster, this handbill. Corona is the cure. Humans are the disease. And that outlandish, anti-human propaganda, that death cult manifesto, is actually signed. That's not an anonymous piece of graffiti. That is a professionally, graphically laid out document signed by Extinction Rebellion. That is Greta Thunberg's street gang. Typically, they just shut down streets in protest, whether in London, England, or Edmonton, Alberta. Here they are cheering for a virus that is killing people. But at the end of the day, is that not the most succinct summary of the global warming philosophy that people are the problem? Joining us now via Skype is our friend Mark Morano, the top boss at ClimateDepot.com. And I must say, Mark, you're looking pretty sharp today. I like your quarantine wear, if I may say so. Thank you. This is my flatten the curve flat cap. And then I, uh, I'm here in uh, home self-quarantine. But actually, uh, you know, I've been getting out a lot, actually, to do essential shopping and running and all that. So it's, uh, it's you know, Virginia is one of the states on complete lockdown, allegedly. So we'll see how long this lasts. Right. Well, you look in good spirits. I'm very glad to hear that and to see you in good health. Um, now, you, of course, have been tracking the uh, anti-human nature of uh, globalist environmental extremists. At the end of the day, if you think human development and GDP and, and prosperity and development is bad, what you're really saying is that people are bad. Am I right? You are. And this is, goes in line with many of the environmentalists who've said that humans are the virus on the planet uh, and that we need to be eradicated. We have a voluntary human extinction movement uh, that is only partially satire. And they actually they actually mean it. And they talk the warnings of overpopulation, Paul Ehrlich. It all goes along with that. You have people like Andrew Revkin, the former New York Times reporter, who talks about the Anthropocene, as though humans have now taken over the you know one of the epics of the planet, and where it's now you know it's all it is is the human caused epic. And other you know people who study this say that's not the case at all. But with, with the case of Extinction Rebellion, calling you know the humans what they have here, what's interesting is the media reached out and some some in the Extinction Rebellion tried to say, oh, that we, we, we disavow this, we had nothing to do with it. The problem is Extinction Rebellion by its own charter is a leaderless decentralized group. Mm -hmm. And so suddenly when it's finally convenient, they can't find someone who they claim now as a leader who's gonna disavow this. This is actually the sentiment of the mainstream Extinction Rebellion. Don't let anyone uh, tell you otherwise. Yeah, I mean, I don't know why they would deny it because it's particularly crass, perhaps, but that is their essential message. Now, Greta Thunberg herself, she did a very strange um, Instagram post about uh, two weeks ago where she didn't claim she had the virus. In fact, she sort of said the opposite. Yeah. She said, oh, I have the sniffles, but I've quarantined anyways. It was a very strange thing, obviously not written by her. We know uh, it's been revealed that she has a team uh, PR team that handles her social media account. Um, it just 
to me, it's, it struck me as so obvious. Like, she wasn't sick. She didn't look sick. She didn't claim to be sick. But she just wanted, hey, guys, don't forget about me. I know you're all talking about this virus. Can we talk about me for a bit? And she even made this post um, just very recently. She said, school strike, week 85. Act responsible. Your actions can be the difference between life and death for others. But she's not talking about the virus. Climate strike online, stay at home Fridays for future, school strike for climate, flatten the curve. And scroll down just a little bit there, school strike for the climate. And she posted that actually just today. Um, that's the thing, Mark, every school is, has been struck, if not by the virus itself, by virus panic. Everyone's striking from school now, uh, and it's not good. Um, we're all shut down, we're all in a panic mode, we are de-industrializing in a way. This is the unhappy future that they wanted for us. Shut down the factories, shut down the roads, stop driving, stay at home. This is actually what they said was the utopia they wanted, degrowth, de-work, GDP decline. This is what they promised us. It is. And first of all, a couple of comments. We've seen a lot of you know, progressives uh, coming out and getting their moment in the sun. I may have had the virus or I didn't get a test, but I certainly had the symptoms. I think I was sick with it. This was a way for Greta to make herself relevant, first of all, to announce that she might have had the virus, her and her dad. Uh, we see Chris Cuomo and CNN with the same thing, describing, you know, uh, a night of nightmares uh, and shivering from a fever. So people, this is a similar way celebrities have used drug rehab. In other words, if your career isn't getting much attention, what better way than to check into a, a, a posh rehab facility and suddenly your name's all over the news and you're getting well wishes and you're back on your agent's desk as being relevant. So interestingly enough, the irony is not lost that you have the school strike movement actually out there now calling for continued school strikes when there is no school. Yeah. So this whole thing is silly, but it's absolutely there. Are, this is the template by which the climate emergency, Extinction Rebellion, Greta Thunberg, the United Nations all want to follow. Just think, Ezra, it was only a couple months ago that we were talking about flight shaming and stopping airline travel except for essential flights. Uh, and Greta went all out of the way to you know, take that ridiculous yacht made of you know, plastic and you know, have their crew fly. But now, just a few months later, almost all airlines are grounded. They have to be ecstatic, and they're publicly saying it. At Climate Depot, I've been covering this on a daily basis. Green environmental activists after activists just, just sort of marveling at how society was so quickly shut down for the virus, and they're saying we need to we need to have this power for climate change. So they are taking notes, and they are coming after the virus to to, to continue these policies. Yeah, and it's not just radical activists who are saying isn't this marvelous? This is actually the green utopia we want. No one flying, no one traveling. Um, if you look at the massive spending bill uh, that Nancy Pelosi sent through the Congress, it had. Green New Deal elements. I mean, it had a lot of pork in it, but they really do want to use this, never let a crisis go to waste, as uh, Rahm Emanuel, uh, yes. Barack Obama's early chief of staff said. I fear that the government will take control and power not only over economy, but over our civil liberties. Uh, if they can do it for a virus pandemic, 
Well, we already have a climate emergency declared in many legislatures around the world. Uh, the virus threat may or may not be as dire as people say. I'm starting to become more skeptical of that. But what it did is it gave but them the template, the precedent, the legislation, the, um, the test drive for what they theoretically could do for a climate emergency. It absolutely has. And they are liking what they're saying. And here's the thing. Now, from their point of view, and you can almost understand this from the social progressive left, social justice, if you completely demolish your economy, and by the way, President Trump, I would argue at this point uh, in early April, has by listening to what I call the big public health, the bureaucratic public health in America, including Dr. Fauci, has essentially dissolved his entire presidency uh, in terms of eco any economic gains. I mean, he listened to them. Now, I predict there's going to be a huge public divorce of Trump and public health because public health is unelected. All, it's like the old speed limit thing. If speed limits at 15 mile an hour save one life, why isn't it worth it? So this is where they are. Public health is never going to allow Trump to restart the economy. There's going to be a public divorce where Trump says, enough. We've got to restart the economy here in America. Already we're seeing this. Essential businesses, we have... Um, uh, Hobby Lobby in the United States has declared themselves, self-declared, and I give them more power to them, an essential business, and they're reopening in defiance of local governments and state governments. So when this starts happening and there's more movement to reopen and, and more stuff, public health is not going to like it. They're going to, and by the way, despite the fact there's not excess deaths globally and even in Italy, that's the shocking thing. If this was truly a, you know, some massive killer of human, humankind, you would be seeing excess deaths of what you'd normally see this time of year. And it's not in the data. And you can go on my Twitter feed to see some of the stats on that. I don't want to turn this into a corona thing, but my point is the left, progressive left, knows that if you're rebuilding an economy, which we are now, and by the way, I oppose the stimulus. I, you know, I, I can't believe we have Tea Party Republicans elected 2010, Ezra. I spoke at one of the rallies, 15,000, 20,000 spontaneous rallies in 2010. These were leaders elected to fight big government, chiefly because of Obamacare and Obama's $900 billion stimulus, which led to things like Solyndra and other things. They were elected. One member of the Tea Party class, Representative Thomas Massey of Kentucky, voted against it. So we are seeing a complete realignment. The Tea Party was a farce and a fraud. I'm, I'm here to say that to you right now. This might be shocking you. I don't know. But I'm sitting back here watching political realignment. And Donald Trump's lowest moment of his presidency, Ezra, was teaming up with John Kerry to bash Representative Massey for this debt bomb stimulus that he did. So, sorry, I probably, you probably weren't expecting that from me. So I, part of me thinks... Why wouldn't the progressive left pounce on this moment when America doesn't seem to care about fiscal health, economics, uh, debt? Why not pile on with the Green New Deal? And my question is, you know, what is our real argument at this point? I feel like an idiot many times in the past arguing the climate agenda is a central planning. It's going to cost all this money. And in you know, two weeks, we bombed out you know, some of the worst case scenarios of the climate expenses with what we've done to our economy. So. As you can see, I'm processing all this, and uh, this is something that will be opposed. The Green New Deal is coming bound for round two in the next stimulus, but yeah. it's, uh, it's something that I can understand why they're trying to push it right now. Well, I mean, it is true that uh, there is a deep state. Those are permanent decision makers who do not come and go with elections. And in many cases, yeah. they have an area of expertise that makes them 
uh, that makes people defer to them. Normally we refer to the deep state in the intelligence community, security community. We saw the deep state fight back against Donald Trump, uh, you know, James Comey, the FBI, things like that. But I suppose it is accurate to say there's a deep state on the healthcare side. And you're right. They oh, have a mentality that, uh, that you want in a doctor. Like if you go to a doctor voluntarily as a patient, you want your doctor to say, well, here's all of my advice and please follow all of my advice because I got to keep you as healthy as possible. And, and you can make those choices, but you give that doctor not, you know, the doctor-patient relationship, but a powerful fiat make orders to the whole country relationship. And that's not normally how we deal with doctors. And they may want to stamp out every single case, but they're only thinking like a doctor. They're not thinking about the many millions of people who are not sick, but are now unemployed. Let, let me just throw one last point to you and then I'll let you close. I went through the New York City casualty stats yesterday. As of yesterday, there were 1,397 deaths in New York City, but uh, 18 and under, which is almost 20% of New York's population, by the way, there was a single death and it was someone with a pre-existing condition. So here you have a population, not a single death by corona alone, and yet we've shut down all the schools. We've put them on a school strike. So I think we have to start balancing the advice of well-meaning doctors with the advice of other people saying, what are you doing to the whole economy and industry? Last word to you, Mark. Well, yeah, there's a study out today uh, saying I think it's four times uh, the level of people projected to commit suicide than projected to die from this virus. In other words, you're losing your house, your home, your car, stress, livelihood. There's a big picture here and public health bureaucracy. Keep in mind, we are talking about, I call him the totalitarian in chief, Anthony Fauci. I mean, he came out today and said he doesn't understand why the entire country is not shutting down. It's not his job to understand that. We have Trump's economic advisor, Larry Kudlow, saying, well, we'll be able to reopen the economy when the doctors say we can. That's not America. We never elected doctors. There's so many other issues besides this virus. You can do a whole my hero in this, by the way, is Peter Hitchens. If you can get an interview with him, I'd recommend it. The UK, uh, from the UK. <laughs> Peter Hitchens is pointing out that they're basically the death toll is being juiced, torqued up, in the words of Al Gore when it comes to the UN, in the sense that people are dying with corona, but not because of it. So if you're a terminal cancer patient and you happen to test positive, which is many false positives and asymptomatic cases, suddenly you're a victim of corona, even though you were on your deathbed. So there's, and they're also weaponizing the virus count. They're counting things in a way that they never did with flu and pneumonia, again a way to juice up the death count, to have a daily death toll. And I think President Trump will realize this. I think he's within two weeks of realizing it. And we are going to have a bloodbath. By the way, Ezra, there already have, Democrats are already laying the groundwork for the next round of impeachment, possibly before the 2020 election, for President Trump not acting quick enough and ignoring the warnings. Mm -hmm. And again, this is Bill Gates, oh, I predict a pandemic. We've been expecting a pandemic since 1918 in the Spanish flu. So anyone predicting bad things and bad viruses, that's not a prediction, I'm sorry. We should have been prepared as a country better. Um, that's not President Trump's fault. If anything, it's big public health's fault. Well, they sit back there. They were, You know what they were doing before this happened? Daily, nightly, a war on vaping in America. Yeah. The CDC, knowing full well that these were illegal black market 
uh, vapes out there for THC, nothing to do with stuff you would buy in a store, told people to stop vaping while they allowed cigarette smoke. This is what happened. Then you have the World Health Organization who literally declared climate the greatest threat two years ago, and they're involved in all these ridiculous climate studies. We're now taking the word of World Health Organization, and not only taking the word, but taking policy direction. Big public health is self-interested lobbying organizations. Yes, they care about the public. Yes, they do important work, but there's also that element of the progressive left. I'll leave you with this. Steve Malloy, a junk science, has said, just like in education, he doesn't know a single conservative or libertarian involved in public health anymore because they're, you're just not welcome. This is about remaking society into a nanny state and nothing can be more seen than we're seeing with this virus right now and the climate activists are taking note. I'm yeah. sorry if that was more than you brought today, Ezra, but I've been on quarantine and just busting to get all this out. <laughs> well, thank you. And I, and the sun is beaming down. It looks like you're in a gorgeous place uh, in Virginia there. Well, you've given me a lot to think about, and I'm trying to work my way through this. On the one hand, I want to acknowledge that there is a risk here, and I want to acknowledge that the risk may be yes. hidden because of communist China's secrecy and cover-ups and things like that. So I want to remain open-minded to, to the possibility that this is bad. On the other hand, well, can I uh, go ahead. Yeah. Well, I, just want to say, I don't want to act like I'm taking the, not taking the virus seriously. It is a very serious virus. It's new, so our defenses aren't up, and it's in a pandemic phase. You don't want to overhelp. I understand flatten the curve. But there are things we could have done less severe, like we could have quarantined old people, quarantined the vulnerable, supported hospitals. Uh, you had a set, you know, businesses and social distancing. You could have allowed churches. There's all kinds of things you could have done by getting the message out. But this is the heavy hand of government. We have the New Jersey governor now telling its citizens today that even inside the home, you should practice social distancing. Oh, uh, people being arrested, roadblocks set up, people demanding police demanding where you want to go. This is not an America worth living in because of a virus scare. I'm sorry. Yeah, that's that, that crazy talk about social distancing within your own house, um, police uh, check stops on the road. I don't believe that will last long or end well if it does last long, especially if you have... 10, 20, 30 million Americans out of work. I just don't think that's sustainable. Mark Morano, very interesting talk. So, yeah, <laughs> this is what happens when government shuts everything down. There is more to life than being afraid of a virus and worried about it, however legitimate the virus is. And that's what's been lost here. And I think Donald Trump is going to wake up very soon. I think you're probably right. All right, Mark Morano, great to catch up. So much uh, to think over. Thank great you. to see you. All right, appreciate it. Okay, there you have it, Mark Morano. Uh, the sun was beaming down on the video camera there, but I think we saw him pretty well and we certainly heard him loud and clear. What do you think of Mark's comments? Very interesting. We want to take care of people. That's our uh, friendship. That's our sense of community. That's our risk management. But at what cost to our liberty and to our economy and to our common sense? Stay with us. More ahead. Welcome back on my monologue yesterday. Paul writes, anyone living paycheck to paycheck who has been laid off is already in trouble. That's actually a large percentage of the people out there. Well, yeah, obviously. I mean, listen, we're all in a way living paycheck to paycheck. Unless you were a very thoughtful, you know, you know, the ant and the grasshopper in times of plenty, are you really socking money away? But that's hard to do. That's hard to do. And a lot of people just didn't. And a lot of the people laid off 
uh, a huge number are restaurant workers who are probably young and not that skilled and they're living on t tips from you know, cash tips and stuff. Those folks don't have savings. Jin writes, I like that the chart breaks down deaths by age and contributing factors. It does provide more perspective to the issue. This whole quarantine business is a difficult subject. Where is the balance of prudence and liberty? You're talking about the New York City death statistics, and I find them useful too. They're very clear, like very clear breakdown by age and by underlying condition. And listen, patterns, that's what we do. That's part of thinking. Can I see a pattern here? Can I understand the world by, by seeing something happen again and again? And what we were seeing in those New York City stats is that no one, un, no teenager or less, no one under 20 really, in New York City has died from the virus. And that's almost 2 million people. One person who was a teenager died, but he had another condition. And yet every school in New York is closed. Riddle me that. Go to the other end of the spectrum, 75 and up, that's a high risk group. And if you're 75 and up with an underlying condition, diabetes, cancer, respiratory, okay. We gotta lock down those seniors' homes. We gotta lock down places where seniors are because that is where we gotta be really rigorous. Can we do that, please? And let the kids go back to school and let the 20-something uh, waiters go back to the restaurants and can we get a little less one-size-fits-all, please? That's all I'm saying. If you think for a second I'm saying who cares about the seniors, I'm actually saying the opposite. I'm saying, Let's keep the economy from cratering by letting young people go to work. They want to work. And let's just redirect our care and attention to those. I'm fine stationing a cop outside every senior's home. And instead of a bullet gun, how about a thermometer gun that you, that you either aim at long distance or you touch to someone's head? You, you know, instead of having cops tool around saying, oh, there's five people in a playground because they've been cooped up in their house for a week. Hey, how about lay off that family who are living together anyways? And how about, you know, I would be totally cool with having a cop outside a nursing home taking everyone's temperature on their forehead. Oh, you got a fever, you ain't going in there. That, how's that not smarter? I don't know, you tell me if I'm wrong. Grace writes, we need to figure out how to get people back to work, not how to quarantine people and shut down the economy. Well, I took a poll on my... Uh, Twitter stream the other day. Now, granted, that's self-selected. I said to people, what's the greatest risk? The virus, the economic breakdown, or the uh, infringements on our civil liberties um, over overacting police and in surveillance? The number one answer was economic. The number two was police and viruses was number three, because you know what? You know, every death is a tragedy, but we are all going to die. I don't want that to happen prematurely for anyone. But so far, thank God and knock on wood, the death toll in Canada is not shocking. It's not um, the kind of death toll that we have been panicked into believing. And if our numbers here are similar to in New York, it's a very particular demographic, seniors with underlying conditions. So I... I think if anyone is under 50 and healthy, you know, they might get sick, but they're not going to die. That's the math out of New York. And it, uh, this is not me trying to be callous or sound callous. If you have 100 people who could go out into the world and fix this problem, 
instead of spreading them out evenly, why don't you have 90% of them focus on the real risk groups and the other 10% just focus on, okay, is everyone wearing a mask? Is everyone, you know, washing their hands? So have 10% of your work on the 90% who don't need the help and have 90% of your focus on the 10% who do. I don't know. I'm open to advice. I tell you one thing. Trudeau, Theresa Tam, and Patty Haidu are taking their advice from the World Health Organization and the Chinese Communist Party. They are of no help. In fact, I think they're dangerous. All right, that's the show for today. Until next time, on behalf of all of us here at Rubber World Headquarters, to you at home, good night, stay safe, and keep fighting for freedom.